I want to talk to you about uh, the power of God to heal your life. If you haven't thought about this lately, all you have to do is go to any bookstore at any mall, any Borders, Barnes & Noble, you pick your favorite. Healing is a multi-billion dollar industry in our world. I mean, culturally, it's all the way from psychic healing to spiritual healing, natural healing, even healing of the soul when people aren't quite sure what the soul is. They still want to talk about healing it because they know it needs healing. When we cross over into the church, it's interesting because we compartmentalize in the same sort of way. And when we compartmentalize, the compartments don't touch each other or match. We say things like, I need physical healing, or I need some emotional healing, or healing of wounds comes up. We create compartments of healing of memories, soul healing. I've got to tell you, those are only compartments created in your mind. When the Spirit of God and the power of God comes into your life, He wants to heal you. Body, soul, spirit, memories. That place, some of those places you've never even gone yet. He wants to touch and heal that one. So our job this morning is to begin to remove those barriers. And to take a look at what you are as a person. And then with a, just a simple willing spirit to go, here I am. We just sang about running into your arms, God. If you'll just open up, he'll come to you. You don't even have to go. You just have to be willing to say, come on in. And he will come full force. I promise. And it's almost, almost that simple. The issue we face, though, is we have barriers, excuses, blaming. Okay, I'll include all of you. Whining. Yeah, level of laughter, level of guilt usually go together. <laughs> you'll, you'll note that as we move along. Looking this morning at Luke chapter 7. Luke 7 is one of those great Jesus stories. There's a lot of them. But this one's a fun one. Because it compares and contrasts two very different approaches to dealing with Jesus. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 36. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to a dinner with him. And when he went to the Pharisee's house, notice the text says he reclined at the table. They didn't sit on chairs. It's still a Middle Eastern tradition. You recline, there's pillows, you recline, your feet are behind you. There was a woman who had lived a, ooh, a sinful life. You know the type. She heard that Jesus was there eating in that house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, because he was reclining, she began to weep. And she wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Some of you are going, this is a weird story. I thought you were going to give us a good Jesus story. This is just weird. Yeah, it gets weirder. Stick with me. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. 
she's a sinner. She's a sinner. Let's go back to this narrative overview if we can. Here's the picture. I want you to capture this because it's a weird story. We've got this woman who enters the room uninvited. Now, if you're having a dinner party at someone's house and someone walks in who's not invited, it's quite clear. Who, who are they and why are they here and why do they think they get to come? This was true of this one. But she not only comes, she makes an entrance and then she embarrasses herself and everyone else there. <clears throat> First of all, she brings her perfume. Now, women, you know this. Men have a particular smell. We like our smell. You don't like our smell. So you bring things like perfume. And we're going, we don't like those smells. If you ever go to a mall and there's a candle store, notice how few men are there. <laughs> and you never see men opening up and going, smell this one. It's just not something men do. If men have bad smells, they go, smell this one, buddy. It's a smell thing. <clears throat> she brought her perfume because she, she knew what the smell would be there. And at the dinner, she begins to weep. Now, again, this is a nice dinner party, a very simple dinner party, and she begins to weep. Now, women, you know this. Men get uncomfortable when you start to cry. And you know that, and we know you use it. See, level of laughter, level of guilt. It goes together. As a pastor, people helper, even counselor at times, I thought, I've got to do something about this because I don't know what it is about me. When women around me, they cry all the time. I don't know what it is. So I thought, they're going to make me uncomfortable? I'm going to make them uncomfortable. When women start crying around me, I stare at them. And I discovered they get more nervous than me, so they quit crying. Guys, I don't recommend it. She'll turn on you sometimes. But that's a whole other issue. And at dinner, she begins to weep. And then she takes her tears and washes his feet with them. And then because of the tradition of the Middle East at that time, her hair was very long. So she takes her hair and she washes his feet. This story gets very strange. And as if that's not enough, she starts to kiss them. I don't know how long it's been since you've had your feet kissed. I don't want to hear the story. <laughs> but in public, for someone who's uninvited to the dinner party, that's just weird. I don't care where you're from. That's just weird. And then she pours perfume on his feet. This is the setting for this Jesus story. It is indeed an awkward, very awkward situation. And the question is, doesn't he know who this woman is? Because she's one of those kind of people. And you know them. Because like it or not, we do that to lots of people. We see them and we go, they're one of those. We do it, don't we? Because outwardly we can see what their issues are. But it's funny, as God looks at us, He looks much deeper and He goes, don't you see what kind of person you are, too? But we make these assessments. But this was one of those classic Jesus stories. It was classic because <clears throat> He challenged the accepted principles of the religious rulers. He challenged them. And then what He does is He tells a story. 
Jesus almost always responds with a story. As he tells this story, he says to Simon, I've got something I want to tell you. Simon says, tell me, teacher. He said, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him a hundred denarii, the other fifty. Neither one of them had the money to pay back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one loved him more? A classic Jesus story. Instead of being confrontive and combative, he just tells a story and asks a reflective question. And here's the question of the day. Which one loves more? Which one loves more? Well, it seems pretty obvious. Simon said, I suppose the one with the bigger debt who got canceled. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. As we go throughout the rest of our message, here's what we've got to ask ourselves. What's it like to know that our debt is canceled? And in response, how much do we authentically love him? And in what ways are we willing to express this? You don't have to do the weird story here. Please don't, especially not while I'm here. But it asks the question, it begs the question, how much do you love him? And how do you express that? Let's pick up on the next part of the text, in verse 44. Then he turned to the woman, and he said to Simon, Again, he turns to the woman, but he's talking to Simon who invited him. He said, you see this woman? You see, Simon, I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which was a good tradition. A good host knew that. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. Middle Eastern tradition. Men kiss each other in each cheek. He said, you didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing pouring perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, though her sins have been forgiven, she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. We've got to talk about forgiveness. It's necessary. It was just a little over a year ago, I got a call from a female friend. She was probably about 40. And she goes, Martin, did you watch Oprah today? <laughs> I went, you know, I, I missed Oprah today. And she said, I thought you might have. So I, I got, this, I got the, uh, the DVD and I've had it been shipped to your house because I knew if I sent the link, you wouldn't look at it. But if I sent the DVD to your house, you'd probably watch it. She says, I overnighted it. I want you to see this. So I watched Oprah for my friend. It was, it was stirring, man. You, you should, I highly recommend it. Some days. And this was the one where she had seven different people. They happened to all be women tell their stories. And they all had really tough stories about bad stuff that had happened to them. And it was interesting to listen to Oprah because in the midst of all this, no matter who the story was, what was being said, she would say, you know you have to forgive. You know you have to forgive that person. You know you have to forgive yourself. She just kept saying the same thing. And everybody challenged it. Yeah, but you see, this person who did this, she goes, I don't care, I'm going to stop you. You have to forgive. Because you see, if you don't, you'll never be released. You'll never be free. 
and you want to be free. And I sat there and went, Oprah, you go, girl. You get this. Because of what I do, I get to be in a lot of different churches in various corners of the universe. And I am convinced on this one, Oprah gets it better than we get it in church sometimes. You see, it's not about cognitively understanding that God has forgiven you. It's about releasing your past, releasing other people, and in turn, being released yourself. So that you are absolutely free. Free to love and to be loved. And that's on a human scale and with God. It is this release. And it brings with it this amazing sense of, Freedom. Freedom. So let's experience forgiveness. Not just hear about it. Let's experience it. If you're going to experience forgiveness, it's a state of being forgiven, first of all. Just simply being forgiven. You know it. It's clear. It's clear to the people around you. Because you're not carrying all the junk of the past around. The scars aren't open wounds anymore. They're actually starting to heal over. And before long, people who know you well going, I think you're sort of past that, aren't you? There is a feeling component to this. And it's the one that's very often the last one to come. I find people who sit in churches just like this one, week after week after week. And they will be able to articulate and are cognitively aware that they are forgiven. But you have this sense they're not really feeling forgiven. Short conversation reveals it. And they're trying so hard to still prove something to someone. It's just so clear. It's about accepting and receiving that forgiveness. It takes real courage to go, I'm not this sinful woman who has the reputation everybody knows about. But I know what I'm like. I don't especially like it but I'm going to accept it. Therefore, you experience it and acknowledge it, and on a fairly regular basis. You don't remember the great details, but you just remember what it's like to not have to deal with that stuff anymore. So one of the things we're going to deal with today and also tonight is to begin to honestly acknowledge what you are or were like. Now, there's a clinical personality profile called the 16PF. I love this thing. It's not something you can take online. It's not something you can take yourself. You have to go to a clinical psychologist to take it. It's the only one of these kinds of assessments that will stand up in a court of law. You can actually prove unfit parenthood based on this. It's that clinical. First time I took this, they did one on, on me and also one on Diana and then put a marriage match together and said, just based on personality alone, here's what your relationship looks like. It's dreadful to read that about yourself. The great strength of this is it's just personality. And as we know, personality is set by about age seven. The time you start school, personality is pretty well established, which is why at good churches like this, we invest heavily in children. Because if we can make a difference in those kids' lives, it makes a difference in their life and in their family's life for generations to come. It's a good investment. This money tree thing works. The weakness of this assessment is it's only personality. So it doesn't give you credit for all the ways you've changed. It's still tied to your personality. 
So when I read mine, there were three paragraphs that made me look dreadful. I mean, embarrassingly bad. I, I am never depressed. I was depressed for three days. I think one day of depression for each of the paragraphs that made me look really bad. So I was away at a conference. I went home and showed this to Diana, had her read it, and I said to her, am I really this bad? There was a long pause. <laughs> An uncomfortably long pause. And I was going, come on, talk, talk to me here. Talk to me. And then she said something really profound. She said, Martin, apart from Christ, this is what you're really like. And if ever you don't walk with him, this is what you'll be like again. But you're amazingly different now. I don't think that's just true of me. I think that's true of a lot of us. But it's time to take this forgiveness thing and go as deep in here as you can go. God and His Spirit are willing. As a matter of fact, they're on your side. They're cheering for you. They want this for you. But when this is your posture, it's not going to happen, folks. It's when this is your posture that it starts to happen. And it's time. It's really time. And the people who love you most are cheering for you to get this one right. Because they know the difference it can make. And they want you to get this one. Let's look at the Simon narrative. We gave you the woman's narrative. Let's give you Simon's. Simon was a good guy, but he took his stuff, whatever his stuff happened to be, he took his stuff for granted. We do that, don't we? Yeah, I, I know I'm like that, but that's what I'm like. And sometimes we're a little defensive about it, and sometimes we go, I've been this way for 30 or 40 or a few 50 years. I'm not sure it's going to change. The Spirit of God's going, oh yeah? You want to bet? Give me a shot. I'll change you pretty quick. Just give me my shot. He had developed what's called a religious spirit. Religious spirit is one of those things that creeps in. You don't have to be a Christian to have a religious spirit. Simon will have to be Jewish. You actually even find people outside of all religious traditions who are so overcome by high structure and shame in their culture or their family that they actually take on a religious spirit. Religious spirit tries really hard. It keeps control. And it's critical of yourself and very critical of other people. And part of the listening room tonight, we're going to do the eight characteristics of a religious spirit and the twelve identifying traits of how it's starting to creep into your life. And we're going to break those. Because we tend to vilify somebody like Simon. His is so obvious. Ours is far more subtle. But it's the same sort of block to the spirit in our life. You see, we forget that the grace of God is not just for us, but it's for others too. Don't we love it when we get an extra portion of God's grace? When you go, I'm glad I don't have to pay for that one. I'm glad I escaped that one. Somebody else gets it and you go, those jerks. And we do that. As if they don't deserve it. And as if we do deserve it. So it really is about love. I want to bring you back to that. 
We can be hard on Simon and the religious spirit thing, but it really is about just love. So let's talk about it. It's really about love. It is that greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He could have said most anything. And he said that very simple one. No, it's simply about loving God with all your heart. So I can't say much more than Jesus said. So it's time to embrace it and not assume it. I was speaking at a conference. And uh, it was a pretty nice place. Actually, quite a nice place. And I got invited one night to come to, there was a behind, there was a, a campfire, a pit fire, so to speak. And there were a group of guys asked if I would come and meet with them. I said, I don't, I'm not free till 11. And they said, ah, we'll be there till midnight or afterwards. Go ahead and come. So I showed up a little after 11. And there were uh, 12 guys sitting around this campfire. I'd only ever met one, knew one reasonably well, not terribly well. And they were talking, and I just came and sat by the campfire. And as uh, they were talking, the guy interrupted everybody. He goes, look, we can have this conversation anytime. Martin's here. It's not very often we get to have a conversation with a guy like Martin. Martin, I've got to ask you this one question. Can you give us the secret of going to the next level of our spiritual life? I'm going, there's a secret? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Nobody told me about the secret. I'm supposed to be here, and I didn't know there was a secret. And I thought, there is no secret. This is the secret. And I said, okay, before we go ahead, I'm not going to say anything. We're going to go around the circle. One question. No talking. Just one question with one response. Do you love God with all your heart? It's a simple yes or it's a no. You start with you. Do you love God with all your heart? No. Next. No. Next. No. Next. Yes. Good, we got one. Next. Guy starts talking. I said, no talking, talking boy. It's a yes or it's a no. No rationalization. Yes or no? And he goes, no. So that's what I thought. When you start to talk, it's always a no. We went around the circle, and it was only one yes. I stood up, and I said, there's no sense in giving any of you the secret. I'm coming back here tomorrow night at 11 o'clock. You spend all tomorrow fasting, praying on your faces, do whatever it takes. Tomorrow night, if you can love God with all your heart, come back. You'll get the secret. I'm done. And I walked out. One guy followed me out. And as I was walking away, he put his arm around my shoulder, and he said, Martin, I don't know if you know who's back there at that campfire. And I said, nope, don't know at all. He said, we're, we're talking, everybody's a millionaire. Most are multimillionaires. He said, those guys could have funded your ministry really well. And I stopped, and I turned to him, and I said, do I look like the kind of guy who would sell my soul for a few million? I said, you, you can't come back tomorrow night. You need two days. He showed up anyway. He looked very repentant. <laughs> and we had a completely different kind of conversation than we would have had the night before. Because there was a softness in those men. There was a longing and a desire. We got deep in the soul. So it's the question. It's the question. Do you love God with all your heart? I'm going to ask many of you to come back tonight. Your job this afternoon 
is to take as long as it will take you to get rid of as much junk as you need to get rid of. There's not many secrets here, folks. It's a longing to be free and a longing to be full. And it starts with this one thing. Do you love God with all your heart? And if you want to, He wants you. It's really that simple. I've got to give you the warning about the religious spirit, though. Because the spirit of religion... Do we have that one? Our next slide. The spirit of religion seeks to substitute religious activity for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's about what we do. It's about how hard we try. It's about the learned behaviors. And you're smart enough people to figure out that is not what the Spirit of God's about in your life. But these are easier because you can measure them. And you can evaluate yourself and what we do in human nature is we also evaluate other people. This religious spirit may be the greatest barrier to the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We do faith. We have this religious thing that we do and we create a structure out of it. And then what we do is we give God His part. He's going, I don't want this part. I want you. I just want you. So when we capture the power of what the changed life looks like, you experience this sense of freedom. Feel it. Picture freedom in its various forms. It's very cool. It's about being full. We're going to come up on Thanksgiving in just a little bit. Thanksgiving is one of those odd holidays when everybody unapologetically eats too much, even when they say they're not going to. Now, I want you to picture Thanksgiving Day. There you are. You've had a great meal. And you're starting, your brain is starting to send signals going, you can't eat more. You can't eat more. It's time to stop. And you take a deep breath and you actually say out loud, I can't take another bite. And every one of us take another bite. <laughs> when is the last time you sat back and said to God, I can't take any more of you? I am so full of the fullness of God. I don't think I can take any more. That's being full, folks. It's being full. And it is an incredible feeling. It's so much better than Thanksgiving. So much better. But there are some similarities, some great ones. You see, that's part of the dream of what it's like. So if we're going to look at emotional healing or inner healing, that part, it's about honestly identifying your junk. And it's subtle sometimes and sometimes dramatic. I'm sure we've got some dramatic junk people here. I could probably pick you out of the crowd. You have that look. <laughs> What's even more interesting is that some of us are so skillful at disguising it but it's all still there. It's all still there. So it's about not just identifying, but being released from it. And tonight, that's one of the things we're going to do. Walk you through a series of some structured exercises.
So you don't have to try harder or do better or do anything else other than just be released from that stuff. And I've got to warn you, we're going to enter a different zone. We're going to enter a no hiding, no lying, no excuse, no blaming, no whining zone. Because you can't if you're going to be free and full. You can't. But it's easier to blame an excuse, isn't it? It's fun to enter that zone. So we're going to look at some healing of memories and be released from the power of those memories. One of the ways the human mind works is the memories stay, but the power is gone. And so the enemy of your soul wants to throw them up. You just go, so, I'm free. And then if you want to be really unkind, you go, you go to hell. I'm free. And I love it. Imagine that feeling. Just imagine it. It's incredible. So I want to say it one more time. When you deal with Jesus, in stories like this, here's what he says to you. Come unto me. Because no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you need, Jesus knows. And Jesus understands. And he brings a release so that you can be full and free. It's an amazing, amazing God. Let me wrap this up. I was speaking at a conference in Asia. It had been a really long day. I think I had talked seven and a half hours that day. I can talk forever. You might have picked that up. Apparently you do. I spoke last night, twice this morning. I'm doing it tonight. Apparently you think I can speak forever. I can speak forever, but that talking to people afterwards is pretty draining. But there's always people who need to talk afterwards, so I mostly graciously do it. But there were a lot of people talking, and there was one young woman standing over here who looked like she was going to stand there no matter how long it took. I always hate those, because their story is not a brief one. <clears throat> it's always true. And I kept looking at her, and every time I looked at her, she smiled at me like, I'm supposed to know her. But I couldn't picture who this was. So fortunately, it took quite a while. And just before I was done with everybody else who went to her, I remembered. In the first church where I served, when I was actually in grad school in the west side of Chicago, she was a college student there. And uh, she came back to visit a few times, met her, met her new husband. I remember they went to be missionaries in Asia. That's all I knew. I fortunately remembered her name so that when she came up, although it had been, I think, 21 years I remembered her name after meeting her twice. She came up, she goes, Martin, I know it's been a long day. First, there were the greetings. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. I know it's been a long day. I just have one question for you. Can you give me a recommendation on a book or a seminar? I want to go to the next level of my spiritual life. Can you give me a recommendation on a book or seminar? We're a little isolated here in Japan. What do you got for me? And I said... I just have one question for you. Do you love God with all your heart? And she looked at me and she said, I don't think you understood my question. Um, I'm looking for a book or a seminar to take me to the next level. I said, okay, let me ask a different kind of question. Do you love God with all your heart? 
And she looked at me and she goes, well, why are you doing this? She said, do you know my husband and I are missionaries in Japan? Tough mission field. It's okay. Forgive me. I'll ask it differently. Do you love God with all your heart? And she just put her head down. And I said, it's the question, isn't it? And tears came. So I stared back. And when we finished the tears, I said, it's not about another book. It's not about another seminar. It's about loving God with all your heart so you can be free and full. It is that simple. And for so many of you, it's time. You know it. God knows it. And the people who love you most want you to get this one right. I'm going to give you just a few moments to think, reflect. And then if today is your day to stand before God and say to Him, I want to get on the track. It says, I want to, I'm going to love you with all my heart. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand for prayer. To give it some thought for just a moment, please. It's time, if today's your day and you know who you are, to stand right at your seat. We're going to have a prayer for you. Today's your day to say, God, I'm going to love you with all my heart. I'm getting on that track. Yep. Spirit of God, I'm going to ask you to do what you do so incredibly well. Will you come, and whether it's in this moment or before we take that final breath tonight before we go to sleep, will you come to each person, and whether you speak their name in a way that they hear it, or whether you come with this sense or feel, will you make it so clear for everyone who has stood that you are there, you want them. You're going to receive the best of what they give you and you're going to work with them. Rewrap this so that they might be free and full. Come and work with them, with each one of us. The Grace Church is going to be one of those places where when you walk through the doors, it's like, whoa, this is one of those places where people love God with all their heart. May the idea grow and deepen and widen in an incredible, incredible way. Thanks that you want to work with us. Thank you. Amen.
You may be seated. Hey, tonight.